The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I am the host for this podcast, and my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. Today's episode is episode number 249, and it will be an interview, but before I get into our interviewee today, I want to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you feel so inclined, please give us a good review, give us a thumbs up. It helps with um, the whole Google algorithm thing, and our whole purpose with this podcast is to let people who are suffering with addiction or who have loved ones that are suffering with addiction, it's to let them know that there is hope available, there's help, there's hope and there's help available no matter what the situation, no matter how far gone it has gotten, there's always something that can be done about it. And so we want to get that message out to as many people as possible. And when you give us a good review and subscribe, then that helps more people find us. So today's interview is with a lady named Ashley Bedsole. She is a stay-at-home mom to four kids, three boys, and a little girl. She homeschooled her oldest two boys and her two toddlers. She also runs the household. She started a blog in August of 2021, a year after her father passed away. She started off writing about grief and loss, family life, addiction, and recovery. Once she started writing about the experience that her husband and she had in treatment together, she realized that many people were intrigued by their story and wanted to know more. That's kind of why we do this podcast, because we know that people like to hear other people's stories and see how it relates to them. She wants to help as many people as possible and show that recovery is not a one-size-fits-all. Her husband and she just recently celebrated their third year of clean and sober living. Let's talk to Ashley Bedsoul. So welcome, Ashley and Roger. I got that right, right? Roger Bedsoul. Yep, that's right. And thank you so much for both of you um, for being on the podcast and being willing to share your story. Um, not everybody wants to share their story of addiction. And we feel that when people do that, that it's going to resonate with somebody. So you, you, Ashley, I know you're all over Instagram. And so you know how valuable it is to put yourself out there and put your story out there. And it helps other people. Yes, it definitely does. Yep. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. So I'm going to start with you, Ashley. I'm going to have you tell me a little bit of your background, and then I'm going to have Roger tell me a little bit about his background. And I know you all went through treatment together, so then we'll kind of get to that. But Ashley, tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what your childhood was like, how you got into drugs and or alcohol. Um, I, I had a very, very good childhood. Um, I grew up in a non-smoking, non-alcoholic home Um I was an only child, so I was spoiled. Um, and I, I, I have nothing but fond memories about my childhood. Um, and I actually met him through my father because my father was a captain at the fire department where Roger worked. And we met and it just kind of went from there. So, yeah. 
Okay. But how did you get started on alcohol or drugs? If you didn't have it in your family, how did that happen? Um, well, this is kind of where our stories combine because we had been married for about two years and had two sons. Um, and Roger started using for a particular reason. And after a month or so, I started using with him. I didn't really have a reason, which is kind of shitty to say, but I did it out of boredom. I was a stay-at-home mom. I liked the way it made me feel. Using what? Sorry to interrupt. Using what, Roger? Uh, that was uh, mainly prescription drugs at the start. Um, we, we had access because of a prescription that I originally got um, for a surgery that I had on my mouth. And, uh, you know, I kind of my story really kind of starts the same as hers. You know, I, I'm an only child also in my family. No smoking, no alcohol, no drug use in the in the household. Um, it, it wasn't like a you know coming from a bad family type using situation like that. Like like I know a, a, some people end up doing. Um, it was uh, more of I, I got a prescription for a, an operation I had with my uh, with my teeth. And, and what was the prescription? Was it oxycontin? Uh, that was actually just Percocet. Um, okay. Yeah, it was a a small prescription for Percocet. Um, not meant to have for a while, but I ended up having some issues. So I got some extra, um, and right around the same time I was having some problems at work. Um, you know, it, not sleeping well. Um, when I did sleep, I had some nightmares, uh, by then I would have been a fireman for probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years and, uh, had seen some things and it got to a point where it was bothering me. And lo and behold, when I had this operation and got the prescription, nothing bothered me anymore. Um, it, it was almost the, the, the magic drug, uh, it made everything go away at, at the time. Um, so that really kind of sparked my interest in it and kind of got me dabbling more and more in it. Okay. And is that what you were taking too, Ashley, the Percocet? Yes. We, we did the exact same thing. Okay. And did it, did it progress from there and what happened? Where did it go from there? Well, we, uh, we thought we kind of had a, a, what we would call a control over things. Um, cause you know, we, we were kind of knowledgeable enough to know that it, it could be a problem if we weren't very careful in our eyes, we were being careful. We do it maybe once or twice a week, um, get by the other days and be fine, you know, and we, we have what we call a four day from my work where I take a four day break from work, um, after having a few 24 hour shifts. Um, so we do it that first day thinking, oh, well, when I go back to work, I could probably pass a drug test. I don't have to worry about that. We'll have a good day, not worry about anything. I'll get some good sleep. I'll be nicer to the kids. I won't have my attitude that I had when I was having my little issues there. And uh, it, it kind of progressed from there. Um, it, it didn't take but probably a year, year and a half to realize that that kind of controlling it wasn't going to last long. Um, it ended up kind of controlling us, telling us when we were going to take it. Right. So you had kids at the time. Yes. Yep. You had the two, two kids? Two boys. The two older time. boys. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So did, you said you'd try to do the first day and then maybe after the third or the fourth day you could pass the drug test. Did that happen or did it start getting like known at work? What was well, going on? That, uh, it, it took a really long time. It, our we had about an eight year stint of actually using 
Um, it, it, it wasn't until that seventh or eighth year that it really got to a point where you could tell something was up as far as, as far as I know. We hit um, it pretty well. Yeah, we, we hit it very well going to work and seeing family and, and, and things like that and kind of pretending like everything was, it was fine. But like I said, those last two years got bad enough to where we started showing issues. Okay. And were you doing anything other than Percocet by then? Um, by then, and that, that kind of gets deeper into a lot of other things by the end. Um, it started with Percocet. Obviously, you know, your, your prescription doesn't last for so long. Um, we ended up, uh, realizing that some of our family had prescriptions for things. So we could either kind of talk our way into getting something from them or, or just take it from behind their backs. Um, and I, I'm sure she doesn't care about being more specific, uh, specifically her grandmother had, was on medication for a long time. And, uh, we ended up kind of taking what we could from her at the time. Um, and also when we couldn't do that, I spent my entire life in this town. So I know everybody, uh, whether it be good people or bad people. So I, I knew who I could get things from and who I couldn't just from growing up here. Okay. Fair enough. So how bad did it get? I mean, how often were you using toward the end? Um, well, like he said, it, it kind of progressed towards the, towards the end of the seventh, eighth year, we had discovered, um, heroin and, um, it's cheaper, right? Cheaper than, uh, yep. That's really the, the main kicker with that. Um, and, uh, what, what happened was that became to where it wasn't enough for us, even though we were um, shooting it. So we moved to fentanyl. Um, and our last, I don't know, like Probably six to eight months, six maybe. to eight months, it went downhill pretty quick because we were shooting instead of heroin mixed with fentanyl, we were shooting straight fentanyl. And it, uh, it, it went downhill pretty fast. Yeah. It ended up being the cheaper option. And, easier to get at the time because we, we found a supplier at the time that had it all the time. And you have, and you have to do way less of it, right? Well, at that time, see, we had progressed through prescription drugs so far in those other six years, um, that whether it started with, you know, Percocet, then moved to Oxycontin, then pretty quickly to Opana, um, which as far as I know, might be one of the stronger, uh, uh, of the options. Um, and by those last couple of years, we had gotten to where we needed a lot of that Opana. So our tolerance had built a lot. So going to that uh, heroin and then to the fentanyl, uh, we didn't need as much of it, but it didn't take long for our bodies to get used to it and need more and more. You know, I'm just going to make an editorial comment here that y'all are lucky to be alive. Extremely. We were just that when we um, went into rehab. The deaths caused by fentanyl? Yep. Unbelievable. So I'm really glad you guys are alive. I'm really glad you guys came through it. Sure. But, you know, one of the things I, I like to focus on when I talk to um, individuals such as yourself is what was your point of no return? What was the point at which you said, you know, I'm either going to get clean or end up in jail or die or what have you? What 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 caused that for you guys? And did it happen at the same time? To, was it a mutual it, decision? It definitely, it, it wasn't really at the same time. However, we didn't really do anything alone. Um, if we made a decision, it was always together, whether one of us disagreed or not. Um, the decision to really get clean 
um, I believe it was my my decision. Um, we, it had gotten to a point where the money had run out. I had stolen everything I could steal. I could make everything happen that I thought I could make happen to get us things. Um, even to a point of, you know, my 14, 15 year job or career, I was actually taking stuff from the, the job and, and using it to get money, to get our, our supply at the time. And, uh, and, and finally it just got to a point where there was nowhere else to reach, nothing else to take and nowhere else to turn. And for a while I'd kind of comp- contemplated, you know, we, we, we need some help. I don't think we can do it by ourselves. But right there at the very end, it, it really kind of opened my eyes that I, there's no way we can do this ourselves. We, we've got to ask for help. As, as bad as it's going to be to ask, we've got to ask for help. Got it. And what was your viewpoint at the time, Ashley? Did you kind of agree with him or were you like, yeah, I don't know? Or um, My, I guess, point of no return actually happened while we were in rehab. Um, I had convinced myself that we were – we had things under control right up until we were driving to the rehab facility. Um, and even once we were there, but, um, we had a really rough time with detoxing. Um, in fact, the doctor in-house doctor there told us that we probably should have went through a sedated detox because of how violent, um, our bodies were just, shaking and all that um before it happened for me it happened for him first and i had just come out of um a room with some of the doctors and i ran into him and he didn't recognize me because Mm -hmm. he was on so many drugs to try to counteract the tremors and and everything else and um on my blog i kind of describe it as like I felt my entire world shatter, like, because I was looking at somebody that I had been married to for 10 years that not only didn't recognize me at the time, but he wasn't the the protector that I've always had. He wasn't the, he wasn't my Roger. And that was really the first time I was like, oh shit, like this is, this has torn us apart. Seeing him being so broken and so destroyed is what just it, it made me realize, you know, what we had done and how I it made me feel awful. Like it just I felt terrible. Understood. So what was that like for you, Roger? What was that detox like for you? Um, well, like she was describing, and there's actually a, a lot of those first couple of days that I don't remember because they end up pushing so much to try to kind of help things um it it was one of those experiences that you never want to go through again um and you know what we all as users know that there's a withdrawal there um and a lot of times that withdrawal is what scares us from getting clean um i I knew it was coming i talked myself just as ready as i could (laughs) into being ready for it and it was it was impossible to be ready for what was about to happen Um, like she mentioned, I don't remember much of when she saw me, um, from what I was told, I was given way more than what I even should have been given. I'm not even sure what the medications were that they were allowed to give us, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a nightmare. Wow. 
You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. First of all, I, I just want to validate both of you for coming through it. Because with as many people as we have spoken to, I have not personally gone through detox and withdrawal, but I just, I know that it's not easy. And I, and the fact that you guys have remained clean and sober for three plus years, that's huge. So I just want to validate you for getting through it. Um, I don't, I, I'm trying to think if I've talked to anybody that went through a medical detox, such as the one you went through. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't, did you, did you do the medical detox as well, Ashley, or did you? um, I went through the exact same thing he did um, about an hour after I saw him in the hallway that morning. And like I was saying on my blog, I really go into detail about exactly how I felt, exactly what happened to me because I was, um, I was hallucinating. Um, I was laying in the shower with the water turned up all the way on high in my clothes um, I walked down the hallway soaking wet to go ask for help. I mean, like I, um, we, I went, we went through it. We both did. It was, um, in fact, I, at one point I did not want to live anymore because I was in so much, um, pain. And then I understood why all the doors were locked. Um, because if I could have gotten out of that facility and run into the middle of traffic, I would have. At that point, I was I was done. I was I was finished. It's a very humbling experience, um, for sure, because it, it it makes you realize just how how far gone you were. I I can imagine. I can imagine that. So, how far into the treatment did you go before you started to feel like, wow, maybe there's some hope here and that we can come out the other side? Because it sounds like the beginning was a little bit rough. It was, and I know this is going to sound really cheesy, but um, going to rehab together was a stipulation that we had because we feel like we're better together. So honestly, whenever the whenever the dust settled and you know we started to recover, I, I had no doubt that we would make it through because as long as we were together, as long as he was by my side, I could I could handle anything. 
I'm just going to say, I don't think it sounds cheesy at all. I think everybody who has gone through recovery, they have to find something they can hold on to, whether it's religion, whether it's, you know, a parent or someone that they're close to, whether it's just a friend, everybody has to have someone. And I think based on the way you describe it, if y'all hadn't had each other, we wouldn't be talking today. I don't think I would be talking to y'all separately. I don't even want to think about the alternative. Did, did this, did your addiction affect your kids at all? Did they know? Were they aware? Do you think? They were, yeah, right at the very beginning, they were babies. Um, Okay. One was under one and one was close to two. Um, They're very close together. Um, Right there at the very end, we actually went through uh, having a child at the very close to the end there, um, which ended up being a complete miracle to us that uh, that everything went kind of smoothly with him, as smooth as possible. Um, But uh, they were not quite old enough to understand what was going on when we left. Um, They knew that something was wrong because they knew that our attitudes weren't just right. So the way we kind of explained it to them was that we needed kind of help dealing with our stress. Um, At at their age at the time, I think it was six and seven. Um, That was what they could kind of understand. They knew that something was wrong. They knew that mom and daddy needed help, but, and, and they didn't like that we had to leave but they knew it was bad enough to where we needed to leave. Understood. And Ashley, the baby was born fine, right? Yes. Um, he was perfect. Um, we're extremely blessed and, um, we have, a, we also have a little girl now that's two. So we have three boys and a girl. So it, and of course she was born after we returned home from, um, from rehab. Um, but, yeah, he, we've never had any issues with birth, any, nothing, no, no um, withdrawals or anything like that. I'm so happy to hear that. We had another young man on the podcast one time and he and his wife went through pregnancy and she was addicted and, and because she would get so sick when she tried to stop they just decided it was better for her to keep using, but the baby was born with no drugs in the system. You know, some people don't understand that because some babies are born addicted, but I think that a lot of time the mom ends up kind of taking like, anyway, the drugs affect her more than they do the baby. So I don't necessarily understand the science behind it, but I'm glad your son was born. Okay. Yeah, us too, for sure. So tell me a little bit about, about, where what your where your life is now? I um I know a little bit Ashley about what you've been doing. Um, you can talk a little. You can talk about that. I I love following you on Instagram, but tell me what tell me what where your life is now. Like how you've come out the other side. Um. Well, I I never really had any intentions of starting a blog. Um, my father passed away in August of 2020. Um, and. It was a complete shock because he was healthy and I've always loved to write, but I never really did anything with it because of children and just, you know, all that. But um, when my mom was cleaning out his drawer, his desk drawer in his office, he found, I mean, she found um, my SAT essay that he had saved and it was like 10 years old, probably older than that. But um, I kind of took that as a sign 
so I started writing about him and, you know, things that had happened with just funny stories and stuff like that. But then I started to realize that maybe if I told my story and didn't sugarcoat it and just let it all out, that I could help people. And once people started responding to it, um, I just, I really enjoy it. And I, I really enjoy speaking with the people that read and, you know, either say, I can't believe you did that. Or, you know, I'm so glad that you're okay. I mean, it's just, it feels really good to know that my truth is helping someone. It's huge. As so many people that we talk to, they really just want to use what they came, went through to help others and give them hope and maybe prevent them going through the same thing. Before I get any further and before I forget, Ashley, tell people how they can find your blog. Um, my, my actual website is uh, com, and right is spelled W-R-I-T-E. And rain is spelled R-E-I-G-N. Good. So herrighttorain.com. Roger, where, what are you doing these days? Where, where did you end up after all this? Well, coming back from uh, treatment was, uh, it was a big adjustment for me. Um, we kind of had, I had to, had to make some pretty serious decisions on my career. Uh, like I said before, I'd been in the fire service for, at that time, close to 15 years. Um, so I, I went and sat down with, uh, some officers and started making a plan on coming back, um, until I kind of stopped them in, in their tracks and really told them that, you know, but before we go any further, I wanted to kind of open up and tell some things I had done, be honest about things, which is something that we learned in treatment. You know, you, you can't go any further holding on, holding on to those lies. Um, and, you know, before I even started, they were kind enough to say, look, you know, if anything's ever gone missing, you know, if anything's ever happened along those lines, which I'm, they had an idea, um, you're better off resigning, um, which, which hurt terribly. Um, I, I loved my career. Um, it, it was other than her and the family and the kids, that was what I knew. Um, that was my life. Uh, when, when, when you're a fireman, that's kind of the way it is. That's a second home. Um, it's a pretty strong brotherhood with everybody that's there. So it was really hard to let go of. Um, but it ended up being one of the best decisions that I've made since then. Um, and it's funny that I even mentioned that because I, now I'm actually back at a fire department. Oh, wow. What are you doing there? Well, I, I took about a three-year break. Um, ended up kind of missing it, um, which I never thought I would. <laughs> at the very beginning, I was like, I'm done with it. I'm never going back. But, uh, you know, I started missing it. Um, I, I knew enough people in the business to find out about some openings and get some, uh, some requests to, to join some departments. And I, I started October 1st working full-time at another station around town. And wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. I was, I was scared to death at first, but, uh, things fell into place really quick. And yeah, I can't thank the guys there enough because that definitely made me feel at home. That's awesome. Very cool. What do you tell your kids about drugs? How old are they now? Tell me again how old they are. Our oldest two boys are 10 and 11. Okay. We have a three-year-old and two-year-old. And um, I've actually talked to my 11-year-old we have um, because he's 
he's very mature for his age as far as processing things. So we actually told him, we didn't go into detail as far as, you know, IVing, fentanyl, stuff like that. But, but he does know that we were addicted to drugs and he knows that we went to treatment and he knows that we've been clean ever since we've come back. And he, he handled it extremely well. You know, I think that's hugely important because I cannot tell you the number of former substance abusers we have spoken to on this podcast that started at age 11. And it freaks me out because my oldest granddaughter is eight and it's just not that far off. And it freaks me out that, you know, that kids are introduced to drugs at such a young age. So I, I think that's huge that you do that. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that was a that was a really big step for us because, you know, me, me personally, I was scared to death. You know, it's, it, you don't want to be judged by your own children more than anybody in this whole world. And uh, for him to take it the way he did and sit down and listen. And like you said, he's he's a lot more mature than I was at that age. At 11, I was playing in dirt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, our 10 year old, he's he's still got some maturing to do. But, you know, we, we kind of we talk a little bit about things along those lines. Um, they know about my blog as yeah. well. So, I mean, that they they understand what the term sobriety means. And they, I mean, like they, they're very aware without us going into the gruesome details that will be for when they're older. And I'm hoping Understood. It'll yeah. It'll help us with raising them. I hope um, to where, you know, if uh, maybe we can realize an issue or maybe they'll just come to us with questions. Well, and I think, I think what's, what's going to be valuable for you when the kids get older is that, if someone wants to introduce them to drugs, you're not preaching at them from someone who's never done it. You're speaking from a position of having been there and having done that and not wanting them to experience the bad part of it. And I think that that, that's that's gonna be huge because you, I think we'll be able to have an open dialogue with them Whereas I think sometimes parents who don't, you know, don't understand what it's like to be addicted, they, they can't really communicate that to kids. You know, we've had people on the podcast that go into schools and um, one of them is our friend, Michael DeLeon and Michael was an addict and ended up in jail twice. And, you know, and he, when he goes into schools, he's like, I know from whence I speak, I'm not speaking to you from someone who wants to preach to you, you know, and I think that's going to be, be huge, <clears throat> excuse me, be huge for you guys as you go forth when your kids are exposed to that, as unfortunately they likely will be exposed to it. Um, if you had a message to give to our listeners, um, as Steve told you, we, we know we have uh, former addicts, we have probably some current addicts, we have... Um, friends and family of addicts, if you could just give them one message, what would that be? For me, it would be um, recovery is not one size fits all. Um, We were, we were very, we weren't treated badly, but we were treated differently for being a couple in rehab because we were told that we would never make it and we would only bring each other down um, by staff members and counselors. Proved them wrong, didn't you? Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, there's no one way to do it. If it works for you, just do it. It's not a, 
there's not a set way to do it. As long as you're following a plan and you have someone in your life or a community in your life that you can talk to whenever you feel bad, um, however you want to do it, to me personally, is fine. Yep. That's awesome. Roger, your turn. Uh, for me, it's a, uh, you're not alone. Um, uh, don't come at this trying to handle it yourself. Ask for help. Um, that was one of my biggest hurdles was uh, coming clean to our parents because the, you know, the, the disappointment there. Um, but there was no way that we could have done this without their help. And they were there to help us. And we, I mean, we're, we're blessed enough to have two very understanding parents. Yeah. Um, understanding to a certain extent, I guess, because, you know, they don't understand it so much, but they wanted to, uh, they wanted to understand, they wanted to help and being there to help us meant the world. And there's enough people going through the same thing right now. You can find help. Yep. Thank you. I think that's a great message. Thank you both, Ashley and Roger, for being willing to share your story with us today. Um, I know that your story is going to resonate with others because you know it already has, Ashley. So I'm super excited that you guys have been on the podcast today. And yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening and or watching today. Um, I thought that Ashley and Roger's interview was great. Um, I didn't realize Roger was going to be on there, but I'm super glad that he was because I think that, you know, he's in a job that was highly stressful and I can see why that might have led him to drugs. And now he's back in that job and he's going to deal with it in a whole different manner and they've gotten their lives back. And, um, that's what we want for you. And if you're addicted or for your loved one, if they're addicted and please know you are not alone. That was their message and it's very true. There are people out there who want nothing more than to just help and give you a lifeline and give you an ear and just give you someone to talk to. So reach out. You can reach out to us. We have all sorts of different organizations that we've spoken to over the years and we can definitely put you in touch with someone. So thank you so much for listening and watching. Once again, Happy New Year. We'll be back again with a new interview. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.